Welcome to What Is It About The Weather, the podcast where we talk all things weather, but not so much about the weather. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek, and let me just say, I hope you've had an enjoyable and intertwined weather week since we last talked. I know mine was a bit interesting, actually, on the weather front. I won't get into that, although there was a non-weather-related aspect of that. We had a lot of severe storms roll through, and well, I think I'll use for the cover art this week one of the many red rivers that formed. We tend to get these things in the area where I live, given the Georgia red clay. And anytime you're near construction, for the, for those from the area, they certainly know what it looks like. And I'll try to find an image. I took a couple of pictures. I'm not sure they're going to turn to the horizontal frame very well, but we'll see. I'll try to get one up there. I also had the chance to appear on the Weather Brains podcast. As you know, last month, we're out of it now, last month was National Weather Podcast Month. And that was one of the podcasts, and well, it really wasn't why I was on specifically. I had done some research related to these long-term forecasts, and I mentioned it on this podcast before, a few episodes ago, I think, but uh, went on to discuss some of that and be a guest panelist. They, they have their regular guests, but they also invite folks like me in from time to time to you know, throw out some questions and maybe talk on a tangent sort of topic, and we were going to hit that, and of course, we never got around to that. So I'll be on again this coming week. So um, maybe I'll tweet out the the connection for, they, they do a live stream, something that I haven't really gotten into yet, but it's a little easier to do when you've got a lot of panelists and um, different people pressing the buttons and whatnot instead of one person trying to juggle all this at once. In any case, um, keep an eye out for that, and um, check the show notes if you're interested. I'll put a link to the show I've already been on. And again, we'll try to tweet the the next time around. All right. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, this week, it's it's kind of a big time of year here, again, where I live. The world, from a sports perspective, focuses its attention about two hours east of where I live. Then again, I shouldn't say the sports world, but it is a pretty big event. So the Masters Golf Tournament is coming up, and it is a worldwide sort of thing. I remember my time living in Chile, it was one of the few sporting events I was able to easily get. I don't know why golf, because Chile isn't a particularly big golf country. Some people play it, but, but not a huge kind of sport in that country. It was one of the few events that was happening back in the U.S. that I could get a good coverage of. And I think primarily it had to do with there was, you know, inclusion of so many countries around the globe that participate in terms of people representing those different countries uh, and nationalities that, that play in the tournament. So that's going on, like I said, about two hours east of me. It started yesterday. But it reminded me kind of of this whole sports weather connection and how I haven't really, I don't know, I've, I've brushed on it a couple times and, and there's some uh, different avenues I want to look at but you know it's kind of sometimes it's kind of tough it's like sports and weather well you know obviously sports and weather are related and this comes from the fact that you know anybody who's done sports has probably had their sport impacted by weather in one way or another now you could say well what about some indoor sports like you know a lot of basketball is played inside or even hockey or you know, a variety of things that are kind of indoor-oriented. But, you know, you could probably argue that maybe you've had trouble getting to one of those events because of weather. Or a lot of times, even with those sort of indoor things, there's outdoor practicing 
I know, you know, basketball, um, other things that maybe the final event or the games are played in an indoor arena, but you know, practice sessions may not all be indoors. So no matter what, I'm speculating that if you participate in these sort of athletic activities, there's been some time that's weather has impacted you in know, obvious ways, right? Precipitation is probably the biggest one, and this is true with sports as well. It, it impacts you know, the surfaces we might use as well as the air around us in different ways. So it can have very detrimental and safety impacts, but just in your overall performance, you may not be able to get the, the grip against the surface that you're used to getting. It may slide around a lot if you're playing on, on a grass surface or, you know, if, it, if the sport involves a ball like football, soccer sort of things, then, you know, it may slide differently across the surface, etc. Now, with this Masters tournament, precipitation is certainly key. But yesterday, even, they were being impacted by something that, to me, has even a bigger impact, which is the wind and what it can do to that little golf ball and how it impacts uh, the scores that are put up um, by the you know, different competitors is certainly a very big deal. So that was, uh, you know, I was watching it and thinking about that. You know, even as I was prepping, it was kind of interesting that, well, there we go. The weather was ha- indeed having its connection and its relationship to this very event. And, of course, you know, you can think about how temperature itself would impact performance, really hot days, you know, people maybe get dehydrated, those sort of things. So there's all these obvious ways that sports and, and weather are, are related. But again, it you know, they're, they're very broad. And so getting into the specifics and, you know, where to really start, because I, I, it would have been kind of cheap to try to do something off the Masters. Although, again, there was an interesting article that I came across, but it was things I know, and I think yeah, maybe you've heard them mentioned before. If you're into sports, you probably will have heard them mentioned before. And they may be a little more subtle, but they all impact things. The first of which is humidity. Now, you know, we talked about it from a, like a dehydration or, you know, kind of being very sweaty and not being able to evaporate the sweat and how that might impact you. But in in sports like golf, humidity actually changes the flight or the trajectory of the golf ball. So depending on the humidity level, it may be easier or harder to hit a long shot. And this is true of the impacts of atmospheric pressure and actually the same temperature level again. So when it's colder and drier air and a very high pressure day, so one of those cold days, you would actually have a very hard time hitting a good long golf shot. So if you can do it then, you can probably do it on warm, humid, (laughs) low pressure days. So just keep that in mind. So if you're good in golf in the really cold, you might be. But again, it might impact your game in a way that you didn't anticipate. So they're all little subtle things that maybe for amateur folks, and I've, you know, I've played some golf uh, in my life, and I don't currently play, but you know, I never really thought about it when I was playing because my game wasn't good enough to where I think I would notice the difference. But I could tell you the professionals do, and they recognize uh, how that can impact their ability to, you know, get things just on spot because it could be as simple as there's no wind, right? Very short hole. That's a very tricky hole with not a lot of maneuvering error from a mistake standpoint. And two days, one day, let's say it's 50 degrees Fahrenheit and it's really high pressure and it's really dry. The next day, just the opposite, 80 degrees Fahrenheit, really humid, 
and the and the pressure's gone down. And just that difference might be they could hit the exact same shot twice and have two completely different outcomes. So those little things, again, for us average Joe, Jane folks, it may not have any impact. But for the professional athletes, it really can. But one of the things I came across, an article that, that reminded me of getting back into this topic, was, you know, I mentioned the obvious things. We, we looked at some of the more subtle things, but one of the things people don't talk about a lot is the impact of cloud cover on sports. Now, again, you can get to the obvious, well, I've been out, and yeah, you know, I play, you know, soccer football, let's say, and, and I've been in a position where the sun went away behind the clouds, and then all of a sudden it came back and it was in my eyes and it might impact things. So there's that obvious. But really, over the long haul, over the course of, let's say, a sports season, what is the real impact? Because you can also think about clouds and the way they impact the brightness factor to a point where can you really get the contrast? You know, I, I had a fellow podcaster who was talking about having something going on with his eye and patched one eye and had to drive home, and they were reminded of how much their 3D vision is impacted by needing two eyes to really gain that depth and how that can really impact things. Well, low lighting situations or altered lighting situations can be the same thing, and, and sometimes we have these situations where with the right type of cloud cover, you lose the perception levels that you have when the lighting is better. I don't know. All sort of interesting things you can look at. But let, let's get to this this paper I came across. So there was a paper, and it was in the Journal of Weather, Climate, and Society. I, I don't think I've actually done one of a paper from that journal before. In any case, it's by authors Wes Kent and Scott Sheridan, and it's called The Impact of Cloud Cover on Major League Baseball. Now, that's the other thing going on here in the U.S. I'm not the biggest baseball fan in the world, but it is that time of year. We've just kicked off the season, and this is a long season. It's going to last until October in terms of you know the final World Series game. And I know baseball's not a huge sport all around the globe, but there are other countries where it's, it is a very big sport, just like it has been in the U.S. for many, many years. And this paper went to explore. They looked at other variables, you know, and some of those have been covered, like I talked about. And, and, and even in the stadium where the city I'm in, there's been investigation about how humidity and temperature impact the flight of the baseball, kind of like a golf ball, right? But specifically, they looked into cloud cover. So the impact of cloud cover on Major League Baseball, right? So what they were doing is trying to understand how much, if it, if at all, did it really have an impact on the performance in baseball? Now, one of the other things I found interesting is going through this paper is I was reminded of all the challenges of doing statistical analysis when you got something kind of variable as cloud cover or the nuances of that. And we'll hit some of those as we go through because they were challenges even in when I was doing my research in grad school. It was kind of along these lines. I remember having to do all these threshold and statistical significance and all that kind of stuff. All right. So, again, let, let's get into essentially what they did. They, they got two types of data, right? They got data related to stadiums, right, where, where games are played outdoors, obviously. And they focused, again, on daytime, assuming that nighttime clouds 
didn't really have an impact. And, you know, I can think of cases where that might not be the case, but generally speaking, that was a, a good thing to rule out. But even in the stadiums, and again, this is what I was, what I was talking about, it, was, it reminded me about the consistency of data. They pointed out that with the changes in the stadiums, and for instance, here in Atlanta, we had a big change around the time of the Olympics in 1996. So the data record was interrupted, right, from one stadium to another. So the statistics wouldn't have been available for a long time. So they had to narrow down the group of stadiums they used. But they got a bunch of baseball statistics, and they won't mean anything for those that are not baseball fans. But just know that there's all sorts of things that I can't think of a sport where more uh, individual statistics are evaluated than baseball. They, they're really big on that. So they gathered all that data, and then they went and got cloud cover. And again, that could be, you know, could in and of itself have uh, ramifications because we all think about it. I was in a day yesterday where it went from completely overcast, even with a little precipitation, to nice, puffy, kind of partially blue sky clouds. So they really worked to try to group things into three different zones. So it was either cloudy, sunny, or partly cloudy. And they used kind of before and after the game as the the time windows. And yeah, you could argue that, you know, maybe something happened in between, but it's not likely. But they, they did look and say if it was partly cloudy. They actually threw those cases out. Now, those may be some of the more interesting cases for the nuances of what was evaluated. But in terms of what they were trying to determine, um, they're the ones that are a bit more tricky, right? When the, as I mentioned earlier, the cloud comes out, you know, the sun comes out for a few minutes, gets in a player's eyes, but then goes away. So it's not consistently impacting the game from beginning to end. And it makes it a little, a little more difficult to evaluate. One of the things they didn't do, and I, and I thought was, I don't know that it would be easy to do, would be evaluate it from the types of clouds. They went with either, is there sky cover, is there not? Now, they alluded to the fact that different types of clouds might have different impacts on the lighting. And I think that's true. And, and again, kind of like the partly cloudy skies, I think it would be interesting to understand the evaluation of those elements, but it's trickier to do and it would be hard to do. Actually, that data for any meaningful period of time might be hard to come by. It's just not something that we really gather to that detail. Now, you know, you've heard me talk about all these weather stations, right, that, that people are putting up in their backyards or whatever, and some of them now have cameras. It would be interesting to see if we get to a point where we can evaluate type of cloud, structure, and even the level of cloudiness with enough data element points to really do some statistical analysis on that granular level. But alas, that, that's not where we are today. So again, got all this data. They have this breakdown of, like I said, they tossed out kind of partly cloudy days and they went with, I think the time period was 16 years in total. I'd have to look back to confirm that, but you know, something, a fairly lengthy period of time and compared cloudy and clear days, right? And went up against all these statistics of, like I said, different baseball things. And, um, you know, and I'll, I'll just, for those that are into baseball, I'll read you a couple of them. Let me see if I've got that page here handy, just so you know what they were. Is it, you know, in, and again, when you think about baseball, there's both offensive and defensive statistics. A lot more of them are offensive, um, not offensive, but offensive. Um, but things like batting averages, how many home runs they hit. We, it's ERA, it's called earn run average. Um, Again, that's kind of a pitcher sort of thing. 
strikeouts, flyouts, groundouts, errors, you know, all these all these different sort of things, as well as the winning percentage of home and away. Now, that was one of the other things. They looked at home and away teams. So, in short, tons of statistical analysis, right? And I'm a fan of statistical analysis, so I can appreciate all these things that they did. But none of that really matters that they did all this unless there's something to be found in all of it, right? So, what did they find? Was there anything in there that was interesting? Well, what they found, generally speaking, is yes, there was. <laughs> now you're wondering, what is it that they found? And what they found is the cloudier, the better it is for the offense. And the sunnier, the better it is for the defense. And, you know, I wasn't sure if that was going to play out. When I started reading, and even the way I presented it to you, I could see it going either way. I could see the component of the amount of lighting and, and influencing things versus not good enough lighting. But the average has probably worked out with, with the lighting thing is that the more light there was, the more likely that the people trying to score runs were going to be at a disadvantage. And you can think of, again, all sorts of reasons that that might be, right? Sun in their eye, um, shadows that are being cast shouldn't be there, but maybe depending on how the stadium is set up at certain times of day. And again, they didn't get into this detail, and and this would be interesting to know. I, I can see all additional steps that you would take after doing this initial study, right? So you might investigate and look into the fact that the way the stadium is oriented towards the sun and those sort of things could all come into play. And the other component is, is on a cloudy day, you could argue that that lighting advantage is neutralized because realistically a home team or somebody that plays in that stadium again and again on a regular basis may know how the sun sets up such that they're better equipped to deal with it. So in short, I hate to trivialize the, the end result here, but in short, basically what it found was that cloudy days, more scoring, sunny days, less scoring. Okay? That's that, that's the summary of it. But but there really was an impact. And, and like I said, there was this interesting thing where they went through and they have all these big tables in here. I'm not sure if, if this journal is publicly available, but I'll if I can find a link to where it is, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. But it reminded me, like I said, of all the statistical analysis that we have these different thresholds that we use of when we call something statistically significant. And when you look at these tables, you might go, oh, these numbers are very small. But if there are enough variants, even when the numbers are small, you can still get what we would call statistical significance. Now, a lot of their data doesn't provide that. Okay, There's a lot of stadiums or, or a lot of things that they evaluated in particular that didn't do that. Probably the the one that had the most influence is something called a strikeout. Again, I know I'm speaking to this, and you baseball fans are going, okay, Mark, I don't need a baseball lesson. But not everybody listening to this is really a baseball fan. But in short, it's when a pitcher keeps a hitter from essentially making contact with a ball. It's a little more nuanced than that. You can have a foul ball, and it's still a strike, et cetera. But the long and the short of it is, is when a pitcher's doing a good enough job to where they're keeping the person who's trying to hit the ball from making solid contact and putting the ball into the field of play. All right. Those are, for, that's for your non baseball fans. But in short, it is a reflection of how good a pitcher is doing. Okay. So essentially, the defensive player is doing against the offensive player who's trying to score. 
Okay, and that was probably the most meaningful statistic across the board. They, like I said, they looked at all these other things. A lot of them did or didn't have specific influence. You know, you you've heard me talk about the fly to the ball and humidity and those sort of things. And the reason that may or may not have been influenced is these other things like the the humidity and temperature may not have been consistent enough that it may have muddled that statistic. You may not have be able to view that in just with one variable in mind like they were trying to do. So just remember, if you're ever going out to play a game of baseball, play at your home field and do it on a sunny day, and odds will be in your favor. You know, and I, I don't want to say that we're going to be done with uh, sports and and weather either, because, like I said, there's some other statistics I've I've been looking at, and yeah, none of them have quite excited me yet. But there's a couple of angles that we still may go in the future with it. One is doing, you know, what of our history podcast? Where did it change history? Now, my struggle with that is, was it really meaningful at a human level? Because clearly, there's some incredible sports events that the weather played this integral role. So maybe I'll have a uh, changing the threshold hold on did it change history into a little more nuanced category sometime. I don't know. I like doing those episodes and there are some neat events. The other thing is actually the change in venues. And you've seen how more places it, it, for professional sports are going to more of these indoor arenas. But I, I'll talk about it here about you know the angle that things are set up at and how the sunlight might come in. Those are all kind of interesting aspects, and I don't know if anyone's really written about it because I haven't looked hard enough yet, but I've heard stories of even how certain venues are set up with the pressure differences such that it creates wind impacts even in these indoor stadiums, which can be relevant that a home team would know about and an away team who doesn't play there as much just wouldn't be familiar with it. So maybe something to investigate. I, if I come across something that I think would be interesting for you guys, I'll put it out there. But just know, whether you're enjoying a round of golf this week and watching the Masters, uh, it's beautiful weather for it, by the way. it's it, we After we had this stormy weather at the beginning of the week, it's, it's going to be gorgeous for the weekend. A little cold by standards here after this warm winter we've had, but just enjoy it. That'll it'll make for watching golf even on TV nice. Whether you're starting your baseball season or whatever it is, just remember when you're out there how intertwined weather is into what you're doing. But but don't get distracted by it because you know when we start overthinking stuff, that can get dangerous. All right. So the other interesting thing I ran across this week was a story about the first weather satellite. And as you know, the late 50s and early 60s were a big time of kind of the space age. And the U.S. put the first weather satellite into space in 1960. It would send the first images back. And I think it was actually April 1st. So April Fool's Day. So people may have thought it was an April Fool's. The first images came back. And it showed the usefulness of these types of satellites in our understanding of what was going on in the skies. But probably the more interesting things for those of us in the modern era, and, and again, the link will be in the show notes, is this thing weighed 270 pounds, which, you know, by today's standards, you wouldn't think it's all that much. It had two TV cameras and two TV video recorders. And I was just thinking about, you know, this thing taking pictures, literally on film, taking pictures and sending those images back to Earth. 
I don't know, just kind of incredible. The thing only lasted for 78 days, which also puts things in perspective. But Tiros One was its name. Let's see what that acronym stood for. I've got that. Television Infrared Observation Satellite. Now, people sometimes ask me why infrared. And the reason infrared is, with clouds particularly, it's something that we're, allow- we're able, not allowed, we're able to look at imagery 24 hours a day and still see a picture of the clouds. Now, there are limitations to infrared, but it does tell us a lot. And that may be sometimes when you see satellite imagery around, you know, tropical storms or hurricanes that are being forecast, a lot of times you see infrared and you see these big colors that you're going, well, is that really what it looked like? Well, that's a reflection of how cold the clouds get at their top. And again, the colder the top, generally speaking, the higher up it is. And so you can get a better picture of these more intense, even thunderstorms we have in the summertime. So when you see pictures at nighttime and you're wondering how they're doing that, and that's how they're doing it. They're, They're likely using the infrared channel or that's one of the channels that they would use to give you useful information from a satellite 24-7. All right. I'm going to go try to catch, watch it a little bit of Masters. Actually, I've, well, got all sorts of things to do, and that's just one of them, but hopefully I'll be able to put it on in the background. But we're going to let you and everyone else get on with their weather-entwined days and weeks, and we'll touch next time. Got some other categories of things coming up in in the month of April on a variety of topics, really. I'm going to try to hit one on bugs and weather. It's been suggested before. And again, I'm I'm still looking for the right angle, so that one may be on the fly. But, yeah, it's that time of year things are starting to hatch again. And I was caught by by that with with our mild winter here, some things hatching very early. So we'll somehow hit on that. Energy and weather. I want to do a, a, a technology and weather specifically about waterproofing and some of the ancient technology there. And also, you know, I mentioned we had some severe weather this week, and I did this thing on radar apps a while back and, and precipitation and whatnot, but I want to do one on alerting apps. And this really ties into keeping our multi-generation society alerted because I was reminded that I hadn't really got back into it from you know apps on our phone stuff, which is how most of us are getting alerted today, and, and talk about maybe my thoughts on what some of the better ones are and um uh, the challenges with that specifically out of you know that kind of little subcategory that may be next month and I also heard from a listener about some things related to um, visually impaired trying to appreciate for instance what's on a radar screen or for that matter a satellite image even and so that, that that'll probably be may um, I was glad to hear from Steve and I, and I appreciate him sending in that topic it was, it was a great idea and it was something I'd even been thinking about again with this multi-generational thing which is how do we alert people who don't have the luxury of, of vision or sound that they can perceive right all right so let's let you get on your way you know the closing drill right you can reach us a couple ways pretty easily email what is it about the weather at gmail.com simple enough right but if that's not simple enough, you can go to just whatisitabouttheweather.com and hit contact us and use the form. That's easy too. Now, one of the things I'm working on is been picking up more YouTube followers, but I, I still, we don't have enough subscribers to have a channel name or anything like that yet. But what I did, and, I, and I'm going to do this for some other things too. So like if you go now and you type in whatisitabouttheweather.com slash YouTube, it'll take you to the YouTube channel. And I'm getting close to finally being caught up on all the past episodes of this podcast that are on there. But I, like I said, other things go there. I do the What Is It About Cloud series. I do some weather shorts. The past episodes of You Ask, We Answer are there. So you can catch those. The other thing I've done is, as some of you know, I have a 
place where I take photos of, of weather and me, as I like to describe it. It's the name of the album. And it's up on a, a shared Google Photos um, website. Again, you can't create a nice name. I can't go blah, 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 you know, google.com slash me and just put it up there easily. So I've done just what is it about the weather.com slash photos and you can check it out. So I'm going to do a couple more of those and I'll touch base that on touch base on that in, in a future episode. But let's wrap up with the support stuff. I've let it slide the last few weeks, so now you guys are going to get the drill again. RSVP method. Rate, share, validate, and pledge. If you have a chance to rate us on iTunes or wherever your pod software source might be, all right, it's appreciated. It, it helps with people discovering us. Ratings help. Okay, they do. Sharing. This has probably been the most important thing with what we do. Tell other people about us. Send out a tweet. Retweet one of the tweets that tweets about the episode in which we discuss tweets. Now, in, in any of that kind of stuff, it all helps. It is appreciated. Validate. Give us your feedback, like the episode idea I got this week. Those sort of things, those all help. It makes my life easier when, one, I know that you like what we're doing, okay, and two, that you're helping shape which direction we're going. And lastly, pledge. There's a couple ways to do that. Patreon.com slash weather or PayPal. Both You can get both of those links from the website. I'll probably do something like blah, 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 slash PayPal. You know what is about the weather slash PayPal? I haven't done that one yet. This really helps us defer the cost of the podcast so that my focus can be on giving you quality podcast, okay, and doing the things that that hopefully contribute to you enjoying the podcast. So again, to all of you who support us in any way that you do, thank you. So until next time, till next time, may you have interesting, enjoyable, safe, but intertwined weather. Because as we all know. There's much more to weather than the weather itself. This is your two white super production. <laughs>